0: You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's turn to our very first topic and guest of today. In the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking about improving schools with educational leadership. And to discuss this, I'm really delighted to be chatting with Priya Goel Lalonde, who is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. Welcome to the program, Professor Lalonde. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And to everyone who is listening, um Just happy that you've joined and looking forward to seeing you face to face someday. (laughs) I know. I hope
0: so as well. Um, Well, for our listeners, they can sort of see us. Uh, We are live this afternoon uh, on Facebook. Noreen Meir on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. Uh, Feel free to join the discussion uh, there this afternoon. Um, uh, Before we talk about that, let's perhaps talk about what what sparked your interest uh, in this area of educational leadership.
1: Yes, I I think that's really important because um, in doing research and teaching, it's important to really understand that our perspectives come from somewhere. And um, I think our perspectives, certainly mine, are very much shaped by who I am. So my interests in educational leadership, but even more broadly in kind of improving educational opportunity, were really shaped, I would say, by three things. So one is my mother, and the second um, was my experience as a minoritized student in um, the US. And the third was my professional work in um, the city of Chicago, in the Chicago Public Schools. So really just just, um, briefly, Noreen, my mother was a Montessori school teacher Ah. for 45 years. And so, most of us, we start our profession and we are exposed to our profession, you know, maybe somewhere in our 20s. Um, whereas I really literally grew up in a schoolhouse. Um, I, it, it, her Montessori school was for three to six year olds. And so my as a child, when I was, you know, a teenager, I spent my summers assisting her. Um, so I think I think I think having a mother or a parent as a teacher and then being a part of schools from a very young age uh, beyond, you know, in a role as a student, but really as someone who's who's observing teachers and working alongside teachers, um, it, it certainly gave me a passion for, for, for children and for learning. In my own experience as a minoritized student, I really uh, became quite, um, interested and aware of difference. I was very different from my friends. I was very different from my teachers. I was very different from my peers. Um, and so I would say that gave me a certain appreciation and interest in what it means to support all students and what it means to affirm and appreciate diverse students. And then thirdly, in terms of my professional experience, um, my work in the Chicago Public Schools was uh, at first as a teacher of primary grades and then as an administrator in a secondary school. And um, this is a really massive school district. So in Hong Kong, you know, we have one big system, right? The territory of Hong Kong is one big system. Well. Um, Chicago and, and, and everywhere in the US, there, we've got many, many, many sort of small school systems. Chicago is the third largest. Um, there's there's something like 650,000 students and schools are really different. Um, schools, schools are really different in terms of um, cultures, in terms of approaches to curriculum and instruction and assessment. And schools are also really different in terms of um, uh, teachers and, and principals and leadership and sort of how those relationships work. And so in my experiences in a few different schools, I became really interested in kind of um, the role of leadership and the role of policy in, in creating educational opportunity. And so I think, you know, with my kind of childhood and, 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 and observing my mother and then my own experiences as a student, and then my professional experiences, it really then brought me to a place where I wanted to um, do research that's in schools that supports leaders uh, who are, by the way, can be teachers as well, right? Leaders can be teachers. To really think about um, how policies and practices um, can make a positive change
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that point where, you know, teachers can be leaders, because a lot of the times when you think of school policies and when you think of leadership, uh, the top down approach comes to mind. And perhaps that's the the, the case for for, for many uh, schools um, and, and, you know, even even in in offices. Um, I see you've got also a special interest in school culture. Uh, Perhaps let's talk a little bit about the different styles of education leadership that you've come across and that you're currently uh, examining in, in your research.
1: Yeah, so I mean, what's what's interesting about kind of traditional or top down leadership is is actually that's really how leadership has functioned um, across the world, both in education systems, but also in governments.
0: Absolutely, and I think at that point uh, we, that the connection is lost. Uh, we'll try to get uh, Priya back uh, this afternoon. Uh, Priya Goel Lalonde joins us. Um, she's an assistant professor uh, from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. Right, Priya, we managed to get you back. The the, the connection was gone. Just just as you sort of said, uh, the top down approach exists in schools and also in government. I promise, we're not trying to censor you. Um, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an uh, an unfortunate loss of connection. Sorry, go on. So yeah, it's it's nothing sort of out of the ordinary because that's a sort of approach that we've al- we've often seen uh, in many Cor- different bodies.
1: Correct, correct. So w- what I was saying was that when we look at the earliest research um, and the earliest thinking on leadership, uh, we actually didn't focus on leadership. We focused on leaders. Right. So we had a lot of kind of books and rhetoric that were about um, what does a leader do? Who is a good leader?
0: And characteristics of a good leader, for example, qualities that a good leader mm-hmm. should have.
1: Yes. Yes. And so now, actually, we're in a great place where if we come back to the, the sort of schools and education, What we've seen in in the past 50 years of of, um, intensive research is that we really need to be thinking about leadership as an organizational dimension. So yes, the people matter, but what we talk about in a couple of different leadership styles or frameworks, um, such as distributed instructional leadership or leadership for learning or um, instructional supervision these kind of contemporary frameworks what they do is they say leadership is not uh, about a particular event and it's not about a particular person or a particular goal instead leadership is situational it's contextual and it's something that must be, and even if you don't want it to be, it actually is spread throughout a school organization. So in terms of you know, your question about what, what are the leadership styles that I'm thinking about? Well, me and really a lot of colleagues around the world who, who are looking at leadership, what we've done is we've taken this in research on school improvement and school effectiveness and we're starting to say to our students right people who are working in schools we're starting to say right so what we've got to do is understand that leadership is most effective when we understand that it flows through an organization right? so for example a lot of leaders are involved in um, providing great professional development for teachers okay well, what we see is that the strongest effects of continuous professional development occur when the principal and the, and the leaders of the school are involved in um, developing the capacity of those teachers. So principals don't need to provide the de- professional development, nor do they need to sort of be intimately involved in it. But what, pro- but what leaders need to do is engage in a various practices that are really focused on um, uh, uh, on developing the capacity of, of folks in the school. When we say capacity, what we're talking about is the ability for teachers to harness knowledge and resources toward positive learning outcomes. And so that's what leadership is really about. It's about, it's not about one, you know, emperor or empress, right? And it's not about um, uh, kind of showing one's might at a particular moment in time. It's about organizational change and cultural change that are all laser focused on, again, capacity enhancement, helping teachers be able to um, use resources and knowledge. To yield the, the the sort of best possible um, outcomes, and those could be learning outcomes, these could be wellness outcomes, social and emotional outcomes, basically outcomes that enhance educational opportunity for students.
0: And how does that how is that sort of linked with the learning outcomes of the students? Because at the end of the day, the students have to thrive, and the students have to perform well. Um, at school, so how does you know how do these various uh, leadership uh, affect the capacity and the final learning outcome of students?
1: Yeah, so this is where things get a little complicated.
0: Because um, you can have something that works really well ways. on the level of the teachers and management, but then it has to sort of some, somehow translate, you know, uh, you know something that teachers sort of sit around and principals sitting around the table saying, right, you know, this is the direction for our students. But sometimes it, it may not actually translate in that sort of whether it's uh, emotional well-being or whether it's, uh, you know, the final exam outcomes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I think Noreen, you're you're touching on perhaps what is the most major challenge that, that um leaders face, which is what I would characterize what you're saying, um, the way I would characterize that is that there's a real tension between school reform and school improvement. Okay. So these are two very different things, but we often talk about them in the same breath. So really briefly when we say school reform we're really talking more about structural changes and performance outcomes when we say school improvement we're talking about people processes Uh, we're talking about practices we're talking about that kind of roll up your sleeves challenging day-to-day work of, um, of, of kind of Learning and wellness, and and social and emotional well being, um, relationships, things like this. So, the, the the challenge for a leader becomes, I think, this is you know true for Hong Kong, but it's really true for any leader in any school in any context. But the challenge becomes keeping school improvement in the forefront of one's mind, whilst also understanding that um, <clears throat> school reform is 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 there accountability is part of it is part of is part of the game these days so uh schools are going to be ranked and rated principals and teachers are going to be ranked and rated and uh students reap the consequences of that i don't think that they're mutually exclusive that is to say that a school that's struggling with performance, but then also whose children and communities are struggling with um, wellness, mm-hmm. right? Um, we can think about both of those things at the same time. Okay? We can we can take steps to improve student and community wellness and also improve student performance. For me, uh, for me, leadership research and school effectiveness research tells us that the thing that a leader needs to be laser focused on is professional culture. That means <clears throat> establishing strong, healthy, sustained relationships that are grounded in trustworthiness. Okay. Um, we we've seen actually that trustworthiness is not really sort of a philosophical, esoterical abstract concept. It's actually something that shows has been shown in research to be um, a major pillar of uh, the improvement of school climate, school culture, and thus school improvement. Right? So so when you're talking about kind of the issue of you know. Uh, reform not translating to school improvement. It's often because um, we're so laser focused on school performance, and then what happens is we lose sight of uh, we lose sight of what we need to do to help teachers build capacity. We want teachers. Um, we want teachers to uh, 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 exert positive influence on um, the school, um, at the classroom level, and then also socially among the teacher community. So to do that, we have to really foster kind of a climate wherein teachers are um, uh, uh, cultivating trustworthiness among one another.
0: Yeah. Um, Priya, you mentioned the the point just now about culture. Uh, You know, what comes to mind is also how does sort of how, how how might the school p- performance be affected by the culture and politics in the school you know um, or even externally a- a outside of the school?
1: Yes, leadership is organizational and then a, a, a big part of cultivating the le- cultivating leadership throughout an organization is uh, supporting the development of, of adults. and to do that, we have to create a professional culture wherein we're sort of guided by a shared mission, guided by a shared ethic, and that really can only happen um, through an atmosphere of trust. And look, that takes a long time to build. It's it's complex and it's not easy. And uh, it, you know, change change is slow, and establishing trusting relationships, um, it's. It's a long It, it, it process. takes
0: time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose, I mean, c- can stu- students are also the stakeholder in, in, in all of this? But, you know, when you think of sort of school improvement and educational leadership, um, again, I'm going to use the term sort of top down because you don't really hear much from the students. I mean, how much is the feedback from students sort of taken into account uh, when it mm-hmm. comes to building capacity and also sort of school reform?
1: Hmm. Well, you know... I mean, who uh, are the stakeholders? Think, more, pa- parents, more, yeah, teachers, and yeah, yeah, more than we think, right? I think I think there there are a couple of different ways of looking at this. So maybe, perhaps, one of the best things that's come out of accountability and competition, right? The competition landscape in in, in, in Hong Kong is 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 ripe for this, is that. Um, Students and parents, uh, students and parents, I wouldn't say that they have a voice, but certainly they are positioned as a consumer, okay? So when we look at things like the direct subsidy scheme, um, and when we look at, of course, you have the whole international schools kind of landscape. What we see is that, you know, students and parents um, certainly have educational options. Now, I would not go so far as to say students and parents have choice because that's two very different things. Um, The the idea that students and parents have choice is is in some sense sort of false because there actually isn't a great deal of choice. But they have um, certain options. If you don't like this
0: school, then you can go to another school with with a similar sort of um, curriculum.
1: sure. Sure so so right exactly so there we've very much at least at a at a simple level distinguished (laughs) I think between options and choice (laughs) but um, but so I think that's look I I I like to um, I like to point that out because it's important for us to understand that that this is one major implication and consequence of accountability and competition. 20 years ago uh, the dynamic of the positionality of families um, was was much different right on the other hand i think what i think perhaps what you're getting at is you know um, what at what point and where do students and parents figure in the equation of kind of constructing educational opportunity and improving schools and so and so you know the 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 unfortunate part about this is that there are some sort of formal avenues through which students and parents can can kind of give feedback so in hong kong we have the stakeholder survey Um, in other large education systems there's quite often a formal kind of questionnaire process right whereby students and parents can give feedback and that feedback um, is folded in to the school appraisal or school quality review. The question is, you know, does do those data from teachers and excuse me, from students and families do those data in any way shape school improvement decisions and school improvement planning? Right. So, for example, if I, I, I am a parent and my feedback on my you know, P3 son's um, um, questionnaire, will my feedback in any way inform the principal and the vice principal's decisions around the annual school planning? And I, I think that on, I, I think that the stakeholder survey and, and similar kind of data, I think that those data matter actually quite a lot. But the challenge is, and it goes back to then capacity, right, is do I is but then does the leader of the school know what to do with those data? Right? So that's, such yes, a good point. I would like to develop, I yeah. would, yes, I would like to develop more opportunities for authentic student voice. Yes, I would like to develop more uh, opportunities for authentic parent voice. But what I'm more concerned with is the training and the knowledge and the wherewithal of the school leaders to use those data from students and parents in a responsible and and effective way.
0: Yeah. And and right. how the school listens to feedback is is very important. I mean, with my mm. eldest, she, she's just in kindergarten. But when we mm. mentioned that the Zoom classes were too long, can they be shortened to 20 minutes each session? And can they be sort of more practical, uh, uh, knowledge based? Uh, you know, we were very lucky the school responded. So now during the Zoom classes, they're only 20 minutes long and they, you know, plant a, a little plant a uh, uh, flower or something so you know the, the children get a bit of a hands-on opportunity to do things and that's sort of very critical of how the school uh, responds to the, the, the needs of students and um, and, and parents. Uh, Priya, I'm afraid we're out of time this afternoon. This is such an interesting topic and I wish we had longer and this is definitely a topic we will revisit. There's so much we, we didn't really get to talk about including things like uh, performance accountability, um, how do you measure and how do you evaluate um, um, meanwhile, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And we we're speaking uh, to Priya Goel Lalonde, who's an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education in the University of Hong Kong. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And I hope to speak to you, you soon. Thank you for
1: having me. Thank you for having me. I look forward to coming back another time. Take care.